Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Paul's letter to the Colossians and turning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and this morning we want to zero in on verses 16 through 17, uh, but we'll back up and read, begin our reading at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against uh, another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What changes uh, when a person uh, becomes a Christian? Uh, that has been a question we've been exploring uh, over recent weeks as we've been looking at Colossians, and especially uh, in Colossians chapter 3, uh, that when a person comes to believe in the Lord Jesus, uh, the Bible describes it as a transformation, uh, a transformation that is uh, to be born again. Uh, it is to be born from on high. Uh, it is a transformation that the scriptures describe as moving from death to life. You were dead in your sins, and you have been made alive in Christ Jesus. And so there is a change that happens when a person comes to believe that Jesus is Lord, that his death and resurrection uh, actually happened, but they're, out, they're trusting in it for their acceptance and approval with God. But the change is not just a change of their status, the change also is a transformation of their life, uh, their way of thinking, their way of living. And you see that even in chapter 3 there in verse 2, when Paul began to say, set your minds therefore on things that are above. That Christians now are to be governed, their thoughts are to be oriented around an understanding that Jesus has risen. He has been exalted uh, uh, in heaven and is the king uh, seated on his throne. They're now to live under his lordship in every area of life. And so you begin to see that uh, Christianity uh, is not just a way of life, but it is a way of life that is fueled by an understanding of God and his works. And so it does bring changes. Uh, some of those changes involve putting off uh, former vices, um, uh, the anger, the malice that may have formerly characterized their lifestyle. Instead, they're to put on virtues, but those virtues are really a Christ-likeness. 
that the Christian is now to as much as possible uh, reflect the character of Jesus in their life. And so they are to be marked by things like kindness and humility, meekness and patience. But if Christians are to reflect the character of Christ, if they're to live in a way that is distinct from this world, then they need to be uh, formed. They need to be taught uh, by Christ. And that's why Paul says in verse 16, therefore let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. This morning we want to think about that uh, exhortation that we are to be letting the word of Christ dwell in us. Uh, and we want to see that it is because God has made known his grace through his word. And therefore we're to be intentional about being formed by it. We're to be intentional about being uh, shaped by our understanding of God's grace. And so we want to think about these verses in two thoughts. We want to think about the word of Christ dwelling in us. And we want to think about the word of Christ directing us. Well, first, we want to think about the word of Christ dwelling in us. Uh, when Paul says there in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you, the word of Christ could be understood in different ways. It could be referring to uh, the words spoken by Jesus, Jesus' speech, his actual uh, message that he himself was saying. Remember the words that Jesus said. But more likely that when Jesus, uh, when Paul here refers to the word of Christ, he's thinking more broadly, not just the actual words that Jesus said, but the word or the message about Jesus, the word, the message about the Christ, uh, that he's speaking much more broadly about the message of God's grace in Christ. You remember when Paul began this letter, he talked about how they had come to receive uh, the message of the gospel. He said in, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 1 uh, that they had received, uh, they had heard before in the word of truth, uh, that is the gospel. The word of truth uh, was the word about the coming of the, of the Christ in the fullness of time. How Jesus came and through him there is redemption from our sins. There is the forgiveness of our sins. Paul would go on and to say that this message, this uh, gospel message about Jesus, is one in whom we find the wisdom and knowledge of God. All the treasures of God's grace are found in Jesus. And so if we understand the word of Christ uh, in a way that is connected with the word of truth or the word of wisdom then we see that it is a way of describing the gospel itself. And so Paul is really telling the church here that they're to let the message about Christ, the gospel message, to dwell in them. That word to dwell is the idea of uh, residing or taking up residence. What is a resident? A resident is someone who moves to an area and they settle in. They make it their home. I am a resident of this city. I, I live here. I am, I am settling in. This is where I belong now. And in the same way, Paul is saying to the church, let, let God's word now take up its residence so that it is at home in your way of thinking. That it is at home. It belongs 
in the orienting of your heart. Let it belong there so as to shape the way that you live your life and to be intentional about it. Uh, and and uh, so he uses that in a language very intentionally uh, of residence, uh, of dwelling. Many of you probably have a Bible in your home. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, we're very fortunate today to be able to have access to a copy of God's word in our own language, in our own home. But to have the Bible in our home is one thing, but to have it governing your life in your home is another. We have to take the Bible off the shelf and we have to open it up. We have to read it as a, as a household, as a family. We have to be intentional about saying this uh, word is going to govern the way this family operates. And so there has to be an intentional way for the Bible to take up residence in our home. It's not enough to simply have a physical copy in our home. What needs to happen is, is that we need to have the message of the Bible, the message of Christ taking up residence in our lives that it is to be put into practice in the way that we live. And notice there that Paul uh, says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you abundantly. In other words, he doesn't want the church just to have an acquaintance with what the Bible is about. He doesn't want them just to know the key parts of the message of Jesus. I know that part. I know that story in the Bible. He wants them to be so connected with it that it is intuitive to them. You think about a sports player, an athlete, someone who plays basketball, that they learn how to play basketball. They learn how to, to bounce or to dribble the ball. They, know, they learn not to just slap the ball, but they learn that they patiently wait for the ball to come back up to them and when to push back down and how hard to push back down on the ball. They learn the mechanics of how to do a layup. They learn the one, two, and then up. They learn how to protect the ball and how to extend the hand. They learn how to use the square behind the rim in order to do a layup. They're learning all the mechanics. But there comes a point when a person is not just learning the mechanics, but it becomes second nature to them. That when they get the ball, they don't have to consciously think, now how do I dribble? They know how to dribble. They don't have to think, now how again do I do this layup? They know exactly when to grab the ball with two hands. They know the motions of how to move towards the net. It's that the mind now has embraced it. It is instinctive to them. It's the habit of their mind. And when Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that's what he's getting at. He's wanting the message about Christ, not just to be something they're acquainted with, but for it to become so second nature that they're instinctively drawn to think that way that they're governed by the rule of Christ. And whenever they contemplate their actions, it is in accordance with what they know in the word of Christ.
They have been so shaped or formed by the truth that it is now leading the way that they live their lives. And it's a very intentional uh, a practice that has emerged. And so letting the word of Christ dwelling in you begins with acquaintance with the Bible. It begins with understanding the, the, the message of the Bible. But it means more than that. It means being mastered by the Bible, of coming under its authority and being formed by it. This also helps us in understanding other passages of the Bible. There have been many parallels between Paul's letter to the Colossians and Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And people will make those connections that uh, most likely they're written uh, uh, um, concurrently, that these were written by Paul and addressing very similar things. Paul will even mention uh, similar ideas in Ephesians chapter 5 about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, there's a parallel between this passage and Ephesians chapter 5. But one thing you'll notice there when he exhorts the church in Ephesus, he tells them to be filled with the Spirit. What does Paul mean when he says be filled with the Spirit? And he's telling them this is something they must be. Well, here he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And we understand there's that parallel between what he means when he says to be filled with the Spirit. It means to let the word of Christ, which is inspired by the Spirit, to so govern you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. When you are under the instruction, under the leading of what the Spirit has inspired, you are living according to the will of God. And so Paul here is telling the church to be shaped intentionally by the message of God's grace uh, and to be uh, clear about that. One person has said a church which neglects the word of God silences the spirit of God. That helps us understand what it means then to be filled with the spirit. It means to be word-centered. It means to be governed by the word of Christ. And so Paul uh, tells uh, the church uh, that they are to be letting the word of Christ dwell in them. This is important. Why? Because we live in a, a world where we are bombarded with messages. We are, being, we are being faced with many messages every day from our conversations to the, the movies we may watch, to the books we may read, to the media uh, that we're listening to, the news that tells us all kinds of things to focus on. This is important. This is what we should value. This is what we should be concerned about. And here Paul is saying you need to be anchored in the word of Christ in order to be able to assess and to be able to understand uh, how to respond in the world that we live in. You young people, this is something to keep in mind even as you think about social media. As you read a book, as you watch a movie, we should always be discerning about what we are watching and what we're reading. But we should also be aware that there's always a message that is being conveyed. And asking ourselves when we watch something or when we read something, what is the author, what is the producer of that intending to communicate? What are they trying to tell me is important? Uh, what are they trying to tell me to value? What are they telling me to be concerned about? 
And does that line up with the word of Christ? In other words, we become, we, we become discerning of saying, I want the word of Christ to inform how I look at all things and not just one small part of my life. It's, it's to help me make sense of the world that we live in. So the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly uh, because it is meant to change us. And unless we are being anchored and formed by the word, we are going to be formed and directed by something else. So Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But he also expands on that and he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Uh, uh, The church is uh, engaged in something here collectively, teaching and admonishing one another. There's one of those one another's of the New Testament, and there are many of them. Uh, It reminds us of the importance of the church community and the outworking of the life of faith. But here it says that they are to teach and admonish one another. Uh, This isn't something that is relegated to one person. Uh, This isn't something that is restricted uh, to the pastor. Uh, There are other passages in the Bible that talk about how Christ gave gifts to the church, how he gave pastors and teachers, shepherds and elders uh, for the upbuilding of the saints. But here it's talking about the importance of teaching one another, that not all instruction falls under formal instruction, that there is a form of instruction or teaching that happens in an informal context, that there is admonishing that happens just in the fellowship of the saints as brothers and sisters build one another up and warn one another of the dangers of certain paths. That's, that's part of the importance of the church community is, is of uh, ministering one to another. One mark of a healthy church and therefore one mark of a healthy church member is where there is this willingness Uh, to speak into one another's life about the word of Christ, where there is a desire to build one another up and a desire uh, to exhort one another uh, in Christ's wisdom. In wisdom is a key word. Uh, This wisdom is not simply uh, a knowledge of the Bible, but coming to see the wisdom of God in Christ. They are going to teach or admonish, not so as to Uh, call attention to their own self and their own knowledge, but rather appointing the other to Christ, who is all-sufficient. Remember, Paul's opening prayer for the church is, is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom, that they would have knowledge of God in wisdom, that they would have knowledge according uh, to their understanding of Christ. Paul believed that in order for this prayer to be answered, uh, the believers would need to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly. And so Paul will go on, uh, uh, Paul will go on here uh, to mention uh, singing. Uh, And we have to remember that that is part of teaching. That is part of the way in which the church builds one another up. When we think of singing, we can easily think of it as a vertical dimension, and it is. We are singing praises to God. But singing also has a horizontal dimension. We are singing one to another. We are exhorting one another. We are telling one another, this is important. 
we are confessing this is true. I am a sinner and I stand in need of God's mercy. This is true. God is faithful and we can trust in him. This is true. We are to trust in his promises. That is teaching. And as the church gathers, as we hear the voices testify to these truths, it is meant to build us up in our confidence, reminding us of what is to guide us. It is also to admonish us, warning us of the danger of turning in the way of the wickedness, of embracing Lady Folly. We are being reminded of what ways not to go by the testimony of the saints as well. So Paul uh, uh, mentions uh, singing, and that is a way in which all uh, believers can be teaching and admonishing one another. But all of this highlights the importance of the church community. The church is given to help form us in the word of Christ, to get God's word into us, to help shape the gospel in our lives. So the word of Christ is to dwell in us. What is that word? The message of God's grace in Jesus. It is shaping and molding us through teaching and admonishing us. But you notice there that Paul also uses the language in verse 16 of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Grammatically, those three words could be anchored back to teaching and admonishing, or they could be referring uh, uh, ahead with singing. Uh, but again, they uh, both uh, can be intended. Uh, part of the challenge of understanding those three words, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, is the fact that they're, they're pretty general words. Uh, psalms originally simply means to pluck, uh, like to pluck the uh, uh, strings of an instrument. Uh, the word hymn is a word that is only found here in the New Testament and in the parallel in Ephesians. So it is a, an infrequently used word. The word song is evidently a very general word too. And so people have wrestled with how to understand those three words. One way of understanding them is to think of the Psalms as that which involves musical uh, instrumentation uh, or to the Psalms of David. The hymns uh, are oftentimes thought of as a Christian composition uh, or a praise uh, in its proper sense. And a song has been understood either as a spiritual song in the sense of separate from a secular song or a song that is under the immediate inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, that is how oftentimes those three words are tried to be understood. But maybe we don't need to try to separate those three words and trying to differentiate them. One way to understand those three words is by turning to the Old Testament itself, where we see those three words grouped together uh, and used, especially in the book of Psalms. Uh, when we turn to the Greek Old Testament, when the uh, Old Testament was translated into Greek, uh, the word Psalms, occurs 67 times in the psalm titles. The word hymn occurs 13 times in the book of Psalms and six times in the titles. And the word song occurs 36 times in the psalm titles. 
And so as one uh, scholar says, let, letting the word of Christ dwell within you takes place by means of, or better, in the manner of teaching and admonishing in the Old Testament Psalms. The Old Testament Psalms are now to be viewed as the very word of Christ. The Psalms should now be understood fully through the lens of Christ. However, we understand those three words. We should understand that the Psalms of David, the book of Psalms, are connected with the word of Christ. We are to read the Psalms through a Christ-centered lens, as Jesus himself said. The Psalms bear witness of him. The reason why our church uses the Psalms is because we believe and we're striving that they can help us appreciate the word of Christ. That we are using these Psalms because we want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. We're wanting to be shaped by our understanding of God's grace. And so the Psalms can do that. And that is why historically it has been a practice in our church. So the word of Christ is something that is to dwell in us, appreciating God's grace in Jesus, teaching and admonishing one another, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But the word of Christ is also to direct us, and it's to direct us specifically uh, in doxology or in thankfulness. Uh, notice there at the end of verse 16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart uh, to God. Paul mentions not just that we are to think over the truth of God's word. We're not even simply to talk about the truth of God's word. We're to sing about the word of Christ. Why sing? Why can't we just talk? Why can't we just think? with our minds. The truth is not only to illuminate our minds, it is to awaken and to stir our affections. Knowledge does not end with discernment. Knowledge ends in doxology. Knowledge doesn't end with simply knowing something. Knowledge is meant to lead us to praise. Those who study the universe, when they study the stars, when they study the forces of our world, when we try to understand our world, we're not simply to say at the end, I know more, but rather we're to stand back amazed at the vastness. We're to stand amazed at the harmony. We're to stand amazed at how God has created all things. And in the same way, as we come to know God's truth of redemption in Christ, the knowledge of God's truth is to lead us ultimately in praise, in rejoicing. We're to enter into that and to express delight in it. One person has said it this way, singing weds what we know and believe to our affections so that we give the whole of ourselves to God mind, desires, and passion. In singing, we are expressing our delight in God with our mind and our heart. The truth is not only affirmed, it's celebrated. And so you, you see how Paul is talking about the word of Christ is meant to form you. But as it forms you, it is going to form a certain kind of response. 
That response is one of praise and thanksgiving. So he goes on in verse 17. He says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, this is the all overarching principle. Uh, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This overarching principle of thanksgiving uh, is to shape the Christian life. This is the third time that Paul has mentioned thanksgiving in as many verses, beginning back in verse 15. Paul stresses that thanks, thankfulness is to mark the life of the believer. But you notice that this thankfulness is to God through Christ, giving thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's something significant about that. In the Old Testament, the formula of using the language in the name of the Lord was a way of uh, describing one's commitment. So for instance, in Psalm 124, it says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and earth. In Micah chapter four, it says, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we walk and we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. To whom do they belong? In the name of the Lord. That is our association. That is the one with whom we are committed with. Any Israelite would tell you, it is in the name of the Lord that we walk. It is in the name of the Lord that we live. We belong to God. And our association is to the Lord. And now here's Paul telling the church in Colossae, your whole identity now, your way of association is to the Lord Jesus. That you now belong to Christ. That, that they are to be filled uh, with a, a knowledge uh, of uh, Christ shaping their whole lives. Believers are to live with a conscious reference of belonging to him. Our lives will be filled with many heartaches and disappointments. And yet thankfulness is to mark the life of the Christian. Because in everything they live with reference to Christ. In verse 3, Paul said that our life is hidden with Christ. In verse 15, he tells us that we are to live under the rule of Christ. In verse 16, he tells us that we are to live by the word of Christ dwelling in us. We ask the question, how does becoming a Christian change us? Paul's point is, is that it's meant to change us in every way. It's to shape the way that we live our lives. It's, it's what orients us. What is it that we want to be like? It shapes our understanding of who we are. Who am I before God? It, it shapes us in our understanding of our own failings. What do I do with my sin? It helps us understand what it is we're hoping in. Uh, we are setting our minds on things that are above, knowing that our Christ will return to make all things well. It's meant to shape the whole of our life, knowing the forgiveness of sins and being transformed by the Spirit. Those who have come to believe in Christ will want to be like Christ, reflecting his compassion, his humility. They will want to be governed uh, by the peace of Christ, knowing that their Lord is sovereign. They will want to be governed by the word of Christ and want others to be shaped by it as well. And they will be marked by thankfulness. 
because Christ is all important. Is that true of you this morning? If you're, if you're processing and thinking, am I a Christian? And how would I even know? Ask yourself, what are you doing with Christ? And does Christ take on a growing importance in your life? In the way that you aspire? In the way that you deal with your past? In the way that you think about God? The way that you handle your own failings? And Paul is saying, if you're being governed by an understanding that Christ is all, then that is the marking of the Spirit. If you want to live under his word, if you're wanting to live under his peace, knowing that in him there is forgiveness, then we can know uh, our standing before God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think over these words, uh, that we would be people who see the importance of being formed uh, by the message of your truth, that we would be people who recognize how easily discontent and grumbling uh, can shape us and characterize us. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for ways in which we become fixated on the wrong things, and we ask that by your Spirit uh, you would uh, anchor us in what is true, and that we would be people who are able to ultimately give you praise with thanks thankfulness in our heart. Go before us now, we pray in Jesus' name.